Hi, and welcome to Cleo Slash Murray, the podcast in which we discuss fan fiction one pairing at a time. I'm Cleo. I'm a lecturer in English literature, and I love reading and talking about literature. In fact, that's literally my job. And I'm Mireille, and I love talking about fan fiction to anyone who will let me. And today we're continuing to talk about a pairing that we started talking about last time, Beth Harmon and Benny Watts from the miniseries The Queen's Gambit. So Beth Harmon and Benny Watts first encounter each other as chess competitors. They're sort of rivals um, and they play games against each other. And eventually they get in a position where Benny is kind of training Beth to become a better chess player. And he's kind of becomes a support system for her a little bit. Uh, They sort of have a relationship for a little while, but they don't ultimately stay together. Um, And in the context of the show, The Queen's Gambit, Benny is actually only one of the various people who Beth has sort of romantic relationships over the course of her life. Um, However, it is probably the romantic pairing that you would come away from the show thinking this might be the romantic pairing that happens in the future. Um, Or at least that's what a lot of fan fiction authors seem to think. So last time we talked about a couple of different sort of shorter uh, fan fictions about this couple. But today we wanted to really dig into essentially like a a novel or at least a novella length uh, fan fiction called You Wait and You Wonder Who'll Take on Your Odds by Paperclip Bitch, which essentially puts uh, Beth and Benny into this kind of marriage of convenience. And perhaps predictably, they end up realizing that they actually are in love and, and want to be married. And it only takes them 130,000 words to figure that out. (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. But before we turn to it, I mean, most importantly, I need to read my fan fiction that I wrote for us. Which is my favorite part of this podcast. I'm so excited. This is essentially the, the most important part of the podcast. So I think if you're going to listen to any part of it. Yeah, you can really just turn it off after this. No need to listen to us discuss actual published fan fiction. Exactly. Think of it, Cleo said, as a podcast of convenience. But would you wear that fearless Taylor's version sweatshirt every time we record, Murray asked, even in 90 degree heat? Cleo scoffed. It is too early in our podcast for you to try to change me, she said. But Murray thought she caught an odd expression flashing across her podcast co-presenter's eyes. She almost looked haunted. And she realized no one wears a fearless Taylor's version sweatshirt in 90 degree heat without some kind of tragic backstory. All right, Ray said, propping her head on her hands. What could go wrong? 120 minutes later, she knew the answer to that question was everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. Although I should say for our listeners, I'm actually not wearing a Fearless Taylor's version sweatshirt. I am, in fact, wearing um, a shirt that says Studies in Taylor Swift, which is the name of my Taylor Swift Yeah, I was about to say, if you don't know, that is the name of (laughs) Cleo's other podcast, which is Analyzing Song Lyrics. Yeah, the fictionalized version of me is much more haunted and tragic than the actual Mm. version of me. Yeah, I was about to say, is there something from your backstory that you wanted to sort of bring up to me, Cleo, and you didn't know how to do it besides hinting at it? in the fan fiction that you wrote about us. That's right. And I'm so excited to share it with the internet. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, I'm really glad. I'm sure it'll come out as we discuss this, this fan fiction. 
They're like, oh, I just related to, to Benny's tragic past so much. I too was a child prodigy and developed a gambling problem. So interestingly, this fan fiction does kind of delve into Benny's backstory. Maybe that's actually a good, um, it's, it's as if, it's as if this is actually put together in a way that makes any sense at all. This is a seamless, seamless transition. Seamlessly. I think that that's the word for, for what we're doing right now. Seamlessly transitioning. <laughs> So how would you characterize like Benny's backstory, like what we're told and how we find out about it? So I think one thing that is sort of different about this fan fiction than the other things we've read, probably because it's so long, is they do have the opportunity to sort of delve into what was Benny's life like both growing up and sort of before he met Beth. Um, and so what we learn is that he was sort of a child prodigy from very, very young. Like he was a sort of seven-year-old going around to chess tournaments and as kind of like a child and then young teenager, he was around a bunch of adults, um, which is maybe not an amazing environment at times. Um, what it reminded me of a lot was descriptions of child movie stars. Um, in terms of being around adults, being sort of at adult parties, um, adults sort of thinking it's kind of fun or funny to like give younger people alcohol um, and sort of maybe treat them a little bit as an adult. And also that his relationship with his parents also kind of mirrors stereotypes about child stars um, in that they kind of squandered his money away and that now he doesn't have a great relationship with his parents. Um, in terms of the role of it in the story, though, it's actually kind of a cool moment where they talk about like, oh, maybe we should do an exchanging of queens. So in the beginning of the story, they frame their marriage as castling, which is obviously a chess term. Um, but then they do that again with the sort of like, oh, well, in order to sort of get to know each other better to maybe to sort of understand why we react to things the way that we do, we should have an exchanging of queens and kind of talk about our past. And he kind of confides in her like, and sort of this is why I, the way I am because of these things that happened to me in my past. Yeah, and I want to talk about how chess functions in this fic as a metaphor for marriage, and I think that we'll get to that in a second. Um, but first, I think the really interesting thing that this fiction does a couple of different times is that it sticks very closely to what we saw in the actual show. And so, for example, we know that the scene where sort of Beth calls to ask Benny for money to go to Russia happens in exactly the same way that it does on the show. But learning about Benny's backstory that his parents had gone to him to ask for money, we then realize at the same time that Beth realizes that this moment actually had a deeper or a different significance for Benny than, than, than we knew, than it did when we saw it in the show and when we see it kind of in a flashback. Because it turns out, we learn uh, later in this in this fiction that he was actually reliving this trauma of his parents kind of using him for money and trying to get as much money out of out of him as they could uh, during that phone call and that that's the reason he responded so negatively and got so angry when when Beth asked him for that money. Yeah, and I think that's something that the fan fiction in general does really well is sort of reframing moments that we do know that happened. Um, and another example of that is when they have the conversation about one of the first times when they met when Benny sort of comes up to her and said after or at a chess tournament and says like, oh yeah, 
and you, you like you made a mistake in this chess game that you played and she's a little bit like um what and then later they have to actually play each other um and in the show i think it's very possible that that was calculated to sort of throw her off balance but that's not sort of confirmed in any way um but in the context of the fic they have this whole conversation about how the way that he plays chess is different than the way that she plays chess um, or at least from his perspective, she plays chess very much just focused on the game and not focused on the people. But the way that he plays chess is very much reading people and like sort of being aggressive or like sort of talking to them and trying to throw them off balance. And that was actually him trying to do that to her and maybe potentially successfully doing that to her. The the, the fiction sort of carries us through this moment of like double recollection, which is that it, it reminds us of that moment. At one point, it, it, it tells us Beth is thinking about the fact that, that it was such an intense experience for her and like how deeply she was kind of upset by the fact that he saw this error in her game. And so we, we know this and this is established pretty, pretty early on in the fic. And it's kind of this fact that we think we know about their relationship, that she, that she didn't make an impression on him but he did on her. And then as you say, we learned this information, which is that he very deliberately kind of messed up her game by kind of like playing psychological games with her and sort of pointing out her error when he did and the way that he did. And also I think that's interesting, especially because it it kind of makes you wonder like what other things about the relationship are concealed a little bit. I don't know. I feel like over the course of the story, you maybe sort of change your mind about, or at least I sort of changed my mind about Benny's feelings towards Beth. In that in the beginning, I thought very much like, oh, well, like this is a marriage of convenience. This sort of makes sense. Um, But then like as you read more and you sort of see his reactions to her and the way that he seems very genuinely hurt in a lot of ways, Um, like genuinely hurt about the fact that about like sort of what happened in Paris and that like she he like she didn't want to see him after her big loss in Paris, Um, which indicates sort of a depth of feeling that like very well could be possible in the world of the show but I don't think necessarily is, but I think is in the world of this fic that he like was very hurt by these things, but maybe doesn't really want to know that immediately. Well, and we also, again, I think that that, that comes out in kind of steps because at first we sort of see, oh, maybe he, maybe he feels a little bit differently than he's letting on. Then at one point they kind of have this sort of, in-depth conversation where they're supposedly being kind of honest with each other in a way that they hadn't before. And Benny essentially tells her, you broke my heart. Like, I don't feel that way about you anymore, but you broke my heart. And so we think, oh, okay. So he did like her, but maybe he's gotten over it, but maybe he just has some like residual feeling left over and he's being honest about that. But then no, it turns out, in fact, he's concealing the fact that he still loves her. And so like with every revelation, there's kind of a further revelation um, behind Which it. Which I thought was really well done because I think there are a lot of fix in this genre and I think some of them that we read last week also would sort of fall, or two weeks ago, would sort of fall into this category where Benny is portrayed as like very much pining for Beth, but that's something that's obvious in the reader sort of from the beginning. Like you sort of know that he's like pining for her. Um, but in this fic, you don't know as a reader um, and you sort of gradually figure out that he does have this depth of feeling. Um, and it's really not until the end where I think I was finally like, oh, okay, yeah. And then I was like, actually, you know what? That makes sense. I'm not sure you would agree to this a marriage of convenience from Betty's perspective if you didn't have a lot of feelings for her. And I was like, okay, maybe this actually makes more sense what was going on this entire time. Yeah, but you're right. But it does that so well of making you feel like things are explained enough that you're like, okay, 
fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, and Benny's so casual about everything. So, and, and I feel like yeah. that his sort of like casual affect makes it very much like, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. He's just, he's just offering this marriage of convenience. And, and he has sort of, so he kind of has these like little throwaway lines about how he feels about her. I mean, I, I think especially like there's one moment where, Towns, um, Towns and Benny go out to like have a beer. Towns is interviewing him um, for some article, and they're just going to go out and like have one beer. And then they come back, and Benny is completely wasted. And Beth is kind of like, "Well, what? Like, what happened? Like, what's what? What? What's going on? Why? Why? How did he get so drunk?" And Towns is kind of like, "Oh, you know, like he doesn't really answer." But um, and it's kind of just this thing where like clearly there's something going on. But I think as a reader, I was like, okay, I mean, Benny has like his gambling problem. Benny has like his tragic backstory. Like there's all this stuff. I don't think that I immediately was like, oh, it's because he's pining for Beth. But then when you realize that, you're like, oh, right. Like, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, this makes so much more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also the few times over the course of the fic where Benny gets kind of annoyed and just sort of leaves. Um, like, I think one thing that, about Benny is that he kind of has this temper um, where sometimes he just gets very upset and is like, no. Um, and I think the first time that happens is on their honeymoon in Paris when she sort of says to him, like, oh, like, I wish you'd been in Paris with me the first time. And the context is that they're kind of like making out and they were they're maybe going to sleep together and it's their honeymoon. And it's like, oh, maybe this is an maybe this is kind of going to function as an actual marriage. But then she says that to him. And for some reason, he becomes really cold and distant and like goes into his room and like slams the door. And she's like, what's going on? Like, I was trying to make a connection with him. And you think, oh, he's rejecting her because he doesn't want there to be a romantic connection. But in fact, because he knows that he feels more deeply about her than she does about him. Yeah, which very much <laughs> reframes that scene. <laughs> And also sort of makes you feel like, oh, well, maybe this isn't just him kind of having a temper or not that, I mean, I guess it's a little of both, but that he has these sort of like temper moments, but they are, they are sort of signs of something else. So can we talk about the, the ending, um, especially Townsend's phone call? Yes. Okay. Which, uh, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of, <laughs> kind of weird. Their relationship has sort of been building for a while in terms of Ben, I think more honest with each other. They sort of told each other things about their past, blah, blah, blah. Other things have happened. And they have decided that they're going to both go to Moscow together to compete in this chess tournament. Um, so in some ways, this is kind of actually mirroring the like actual canon of the show, the sort of arc that like it ends with this like big trip to Moscow. We're still ending with a big trip to Moscow and they're about to go. And she gets a late night phone call from Towns. And it's like kind of dramatic because she's like, why would anyone call me at 3 a.m.? Like, did someone die? Like, do I need to do such sort of emergency? Um, but he's kind of like, I just feel like I need to tell you before you guys go to Moscow that like Benny's in love with you. And, <laughs> and you're like, what? Um, I'm going to find that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should find this moment. <laughs> we tried to like recap. Cause I was like, what? No, that was also my reaction. It's maybe the one thing for me that didn't ring completely true. And it's maybe it's because you need to wrap it up somehow. I think one thing that's cool about fan fiction in general is you have access to like a little bit of the writing process because you have author's notes. Um, and if you look at the author's note, you can tell that the story was intended to be shorter. Like at one point, the author says like, oh, well, I think you might have noticed the chapter, the number of like projected chapters has changed. Like we've moved from like five chapters to six chapters. And like this chapter has just gotten too long. So we had to end it at some point. Um, so I do wonder if there's that feeling of like, this story is getting longer. Like I had sort of a plan for my plot, but we're getting really long now. Like we need to 
we need to like wrap things up or we need to have things happen that like I knew would happen from the beginning, but they need to happen now. Okay, I found it. Can we do this like a dialogue between the two of us? Ugh, fine. I wanted to play all the parts, Murray, but that's fine. Okay. Which, who do you want to be? <laughs> um, I'll be, I'll be Beth. Okay. Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I can do this. I can do this. Maybe this is a good idea. Are you okay? Did something happen? No, no, don't worry. Everything's fine, but I do need to speak to you. It's late. I know, and I'm sorry if I scared you. I wasn't going to call at all, but then I realized that I have to. You're not making this sound less scary. I'm sorry about that, too. Look, I had dinner with Jolene yesterday. Is she okay? She's good. It turns out we were both thinking about the same thing, and, well, I guess that's why I'm calling. Towns, do you like being married to Benny? Yes. Yes. I do. Okay. Then I need you to listen to me very carefully. I'm listening. I don't know how you feel about Benny. I mean, I see that you care about him. I see that being married to him is good for you. I see that you're making the effort to build your life together. I just don't know specifically what you feel, and neither does Jolene. And that makes me think that we can't tell because you don't really know. And that's okay, but you do need to think about it. Benny loves you. I went to his room like you asked me to before you got married, and he was a wreck because he couldn't back out, but he'd realized that he wasn't as over you as he thought he was, had realized he probably wouldn't ever be. I hate that I'm the one telling you this, but I don't think that he ever will. I'm not telling you that you have to reciprocate or feel things that you don't feel, but you're aware of what Russia will be like. Only the two of you know what happened in Vegas, if you can stop that happening again. But the pressure in Moscow will be worse. And I think you need to be very careful if you want to come back from Russia still married. Because you could easily break him without even meaning to, Harmon. Right. I thought things might be different, that it was more pre-wedding jitters than anything else. But when I came to New York, I could see that nothing's changed for him. I took Benny out in case he wanted to talk. And what he really wanted was a drink. So yes, I helped him get drunk. And I realized that I had to talk to you before it was too late. I see. If you two need a second, I can help. I've got savings. The visa is tricky, but I know someone in the department who could probably rush it through if you think it would help to bring another person. No, no. Thank you. But we'll be fine. Harmon. Beth. I'm okay. Thanks for calling. I'll see you in Moscow. Scene. <laughs> so this is weird, right? I think that it's, I, I think reading it, I think I pinpointed it a little bit more. It's, I think it's the, it's not the, um, he wasn't as over you as he thought it was. It's the, he probably wouldn't ever be. <laughs> like oh. sticks out to me a little bit uh-huh. that feels extreme to me that feels like you're the love of his life there is no way he can go on like I would believe he's not over her he's like trying to be over her it's not working but there's something about like the extremity of he'll never be um that feels like a lot to me yeah though also I have to wonder it could be an overstatement in that, that this is not Benny talking and this is not some like omniscient present who's presence who knows how Benny feels. This is Towns talking. And what what was weird about it to me was less that he's what he said and more that like he said it at this moment in time. Like why? And maybe this was obvious to you, but I, I was very confused reading this. I was like, 
what is Towns doing? Why would he choose this moment right before they go to Moscow? Does he really think this is going to help? Because obviously, obviously, like there is a risk here, like that he brings up that like something will happen in Moscow in the same way we should maybe talk about what happened in Vegas. But in the same way that like in Vegas, they slept together and then like had this like awful game against each other the next morning. And clearly it threw off the, threw both of them off their games. Um, there's a risk of that happening in Moscow. But is there not also a greater risk of something <laughs> bad happening because she found out late at night, the night before, right before she's about to get on the plane, that her like fake husband is actually in love with her? He's essentially guaranteeing there being some kind of problem yes, in Moscow, so as opposed to like it being a possibility. But I think, okay, I think that we also can't take for granted that this is actually why he's saying this now. Because maybe he doesn't care what happens in Moscow as long as he can try to get Beth and Benny together. Yeah, I mean, maybe he cares more about their love life than their chess games, which I don't think is how either Benny or Beth feel. But I mean, maybe yeah, Towns also like yeah. who gave him the right to like decide yeah. that for them. The way he's right to meddle in the love life of these chess masters. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I I could maybe believe that a little bit more. That like Towns, like he's a maybe he's like a romantic. He's like those these people, two people I care about in my life. Like I want them to be happy. Or, like, maybe he sincerely is like, I don't want Benny's, like, heart to be broken by Beth. But it's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't say any of these things. What he says is, if you want to still be married, then you should decide. Which is almost like he's saying the danger is that Benny's going to leave you. Mm. Is that how you read that? Yeah, or that Benny's going to, yeah, Benny's going to leave you. Or, like, there's going to be one of these kind of, like hissy fit is maybe too dismissive but like Benny's going to kind of just like shut down again and maybe that will result in them sort of like reevaluating their marriage in some way that it's going to be much worse than the other times he's like sort of gotten quite upset and just sort of left or the chess will be so bad that you feel you can't stay married yeah yeah or that which seems actually more likely like true to their characters yeah um, there's the line at the end where they kind of like talk about how like oh well um well, they're talking about like they're worried about that it's going to interfere with their lives. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, this is, is really more. Never mind. This is a completely different scene. Um, but they are they're talking about what happened in Vegas. They're saying, like, oh, people who aren't married, people who don't even like each other manage that. And now we know this, it doesn't have to get in the way of our lives. Which is interesting because at, at that moment, they're they're acknowledging that they're attracted to one another and that stuff can happen between them and it won't necessarily be a problem for their chess careers. Like that's essentially what they're saying. Yes. Yeah. Which I guess later with like, in the context of Towns's phone call, Towns is sort of saying like that that's not true. Well, Towns is saying that that's not true or he's saying or that, that this like, is like not saying- sustainable. Like what you're doing right now, it will not be sort of sustained in the future over time. Like maybe you'll come back from Moscow, not married. Yeah. I think he's saying if you're focusing on the chess, you're actually going to lose the marriage part. Like essentially he's saying, essentially he is saying it's not true, or at least he's saying it's not true if you think about it in those terms. Why? Yeah. I mean, why call someone in the middle of the night? Like, again, what is the immediacy? Like, what is the thing that happened at 3 a.m. where he's like, I have to call. Yeah, because yeah, also presumably he had dinner with Jolene at like a regular hour, right? They had this conversation about their friends' love lives. And then he like goes back home. They're coming. Maybe they had a little bit to drink at the dinner and they're like, I'm going to call her. I'm going to call her and tell her. (laughs) 
honestly, that would make more sense. <laughs> it sounds just very solemnly being like, I know it's 3 a.m. Everything's fine. No one died in a car crash. Um, but I do have to tell you my thoughts on your marriage. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have another theory. Um, given the time period of this fic, maybe he's like, this is the last time I can call her before she gets on the plane. And like, I know that I'll be able to reach her. Like maybe he's like, oh, oh right. Like, the next morning. I can't really call her in Moscow. Or maybe that's like harder to do a long distance call or be like harder to get in touch with her. We know it's expensive from Canon. Yeah. The Canon tells us. Um, but yeah, so maybe maybe that could count. I'm not sure that fully explains it at all, but that could like... I'm sorry I'm calling you at 3 a.m. to tell you what you should do in your marriage, but it's because I didn't want to spend any money on this phone call. <laughs> yeah, I, I value your happiness in your marriage, but not enough to make a phone call to Russia. But not your sleep. There is like a role that this phone call provides in the narrative. Um, yeah, I think the problem is just that, like, when you look at it from Towns's perspective, it does feel like a little bit of a non sequitur of why this phone call happened. But I think what you said about it mimicking the original, like, series arc, uh, at the end of the series, she also gets a very important phone call, which is, of course, from Benny, um, and all of her other chess friends. And this is kind of also putting an important phone call at the end of the story. And so I'm sure that there is some kind of, like, form thing yeah, yeah, especially because I feel like this story in general, there's a lot of like revisiting important canon moments, but in a slightly different way. Um, like I think Las Vegas is also an example of that because we sort of we see all the familiar sites, like not everywhere where the canon goes. Like obviously, like we don't go to like Mexico City, for example. Um, but, like we go to various chess tournaments, we go to Las Vegas, we have sort of like a like bad loss at Vegas kind of um, in that they play this terrible game against each other in the final, which kind of mirrors in Canon. There's like a game in the final that she's very, very much not happy with since she loses um, to Benny. Yeah. And in both cases, so in the case of in this fan fiction that their sort of game, once they're married ends in a stalemate after like way too many moves. And there's this whole thing of like, we should have called it sooner. We should have called it a draw before it just ended because no one could make any more moves. Um, and then earlier um, they were co-champions. And I think, are they co-champions again? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in that way it's like directly mirroring and also mirroring the way that she feels about it. Like it's not, yeah. a, it's just like very unhappy afterwards and feels like this is a great like chess loss so i think in that sense it's like mirroring it again with sort of like oh vegas is a site of loss and then also that we're ending in moscow with sort of a like nice success yeah but the weird thing about it is like yes technically vegas is a site of loss at least initially because she does lose to benny in the first game they play there but it's actually a place of equality of like you know where they keep ending up co-champions and so it's this weird thing where like it's almost a way of like seeing something that's not a loss as a loss because you're so focused on your individual win that you can't see like a partnership in it or something is it after in in canon is it after there is it at vegas where he asks her to come to new york vegas is much earlier because they don't see each other for a few years well, the interesting thing is like, and then it also, the, this fan fiction also talks about it, which is that Vegas is doubly hard for her because she both loses to Benny and also like Towns rejects her. And so what we see in the series, at least, is that it's, it's more like the, 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 the effect of Towns rejecting her, which is that she sort of goes back, kind of sleeps with a boy in her Russian class, is kind of introduced to sex in that way and starts kind of drinking more seriously. Um, and so we do see... We, we it doesn't it's not as much about Benny as it is in this fan fiction. I think is the short 
thing that I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, well, yeah, one thing I think that's interesting about like, so the role of towns in this fan fiction and like the discussion that they have relating to Vegas is that there's several points where I think this fic is kind of giving like a postmortem on all of her relationships. Like it primarily is giving a postmortem on her and Betty's relationship since they sort of talk about different things that happened in the past, but also she re- kind of gets the opportunity to reflect on what happened with towns and also reflect on what happened with um, Harry Beltnick. Yeah, can we talk about her reaction at the wedding? Because that was what I, I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the um, of the fic. Actually, she goes to this wedding. Um, Susan marries Mike. Everything seems great. She is sort of seeing the wedding and seeing how happy everything is, and she has this sort of kind of reaction to it, um, and ends up running into the bathroom and kind of like destroying the bathroom looking for drugs. And there's this sort of strange feeling of like, she sort of like doesn't really fit in terms of what one is supposed to want. It was cruel in its own way. Beth knew what Harry wanted from her and knew that she could never give it to him, would never give it to him. It was probable that she didn't even have what he wanted in the first place. When she's talking to Benny later, she says sort of, I don't want it. She bursts out. I don't want any of it. Um, And he tells her that doesn't make you a monster. Your mind doesn't work like other people's and you don't have to want what they want. Yeah, it was a beautiful wedding, a perfect day, and Beth didn't know what to do with it. She can't picture herself in Susan's place, not even in the wildest of fantasies. Her friends are happy, and Beth has never felt further away from them. She couldn't sustain that, couldn't fake wanting it, and she still can't. Apparently, a loveless wedding rushed through in a courthouse to keep the press off her back was still better for Beth than something like today would have been. I think that apparently is doing a lot of work here. Because, like, I have a lot of sympathy for this. And the first time I read this, I was like, cool. Like, you don't need to want that. Like, a lot of people don't want this, you know, vision of domesticity. Yeah. But, but I'm not like, sure. It's the sight of, like, grief and trauma, though, that she is having. It's not sort of like she's having a freeing moment or anything. Or like, oh, well, you know, this picket fence is fine for people, but I've, like, freed myself of that. And I understand that I don't have to, like, conform to society's expectations. It's more that she's sort of seeing that. And then realizing and then being like, I don't want that, but also that it's really upsetting to her that she doesn't want that. Well, I think that she does want that. Well, she wants the thing that she has, but she's misunderstood what it is. Yeah, I think she wants a version of that. Because what she doesn't realize is that her wedding isn't loveless. And in fact, like right in this moment, like Benny is there for her. He's like holding her in company. Yeah, and he's the one sort of telling her like, oh, it's okay. Like, I don't want that either. Like we can kind of like forge our way in the world as two people um, and sort of not have this sort of like very kind of like picket fancy like suburban like sort of existence like that's going to be okay but there might even be some some love in it though she doesn't really on that page yet yeah but I thought in some ways this scene is actually really kind of heartbreaking sort of imagining someone like watching like other people sort of love and this sort of perfect little wedding and then having this such a sort of reaction of grief which on one hand is sort of her maybe feeling guilty about like her sort of relationship with Harry Beltnick and sort of like that, oh, he wanted something I couldn't give him and maybe I treated him poorly, but also feeling the sort of grief of she's sort of mourning this like alternate universe version of herself a little bit, like mourning the idea of I could have been that person who's getting married and is really happy, but I'm also fundamentally not that person and I don't even want to be that person, but it's still kind of tragic. I think that's what you think it is. I think that's what you're supposed to think it is. Oh, but then when you, but then when you like reevaluate after. But then maybe when she realizes, because she has one, uh, like much later on in the story, she has this line of like, 
I think I always loved you. I just didn't realize that was like what it was that I felt. Yeah. yeah and I think that, I think that there's something really interesting about this story about the way that um, it's not as if like one character has to like go through some sort of giant change in order to make it. Cause I think that like, if you have sort of like a slow burn relationship, right there, like there's an expected sort of narrative arc of like something has to like happen or change in order to make them come together. Um, but I think in this book, it's sort of hard to put your finger on what exactly changed <laughs> that allowed their relationship to become a real marriage. Um, and there's this like line at the end where Benny says like, I'd almost given up hoping that everything would change for you. And then Beth says, I don't think anything did. And I think that that it's always is kind of true that there isn't really a lot that changed. It's more like she kind of had like a paradigm shift almost in terms of how she was seeing things, but it's not as if she went through some sort of like character development or like some sort of like change or some sort of like specific thing that made, or like he didn't really either to make their relationship happen. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly right. That it's both of them think that they would have to change to be happy or that the other one would have to change, but they're wrong. In fact, they can just be yeah. happy. And that's almost like, that's the only thing they need to realize. And I think that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah, no, that is really sweet. And also, <laughs> I think it's really sweet how they have, um, there's some line at the end where where she's like, oh, I want to like beat everyone at chess around the world, but yeah. I want to play chess with you forever. <laughs> yeah, so, which is so nice. Yeah. So I want to talk now about kind of the the idea of marriage in this, like the vision of what marriage is and could be, because this is kind of what this starts out with, right? This idea of like, think of it as castling. Um, and castling in chess is when you essentially like flip the, the king and one of the rooks so that the king is protected. And so essentially you're kind of boxing, boxing him in. Um, what do you think that that means in terms of marriage here? Well, I think it's interesting because in that sort of description of like castling, there are in some ways like sort of defined roles and that like someone is being protected and someone is the protector. Well, I think when it comes up in their relationship, it's about her, um, her addiction issues, actually both of their addiction issues. It's like he can help her with uh, wanting to drink and do drugs and she can help him with his gambling problem. And so those are the ways in which they're kind of yeah, which then kind of implies that like it is something that like is exchanged of like sometimes I'm the castle and sometimes you're the king and sometimes you're the king and I'm the castle um which is kind of nice but I think it does sort of imply that marriage is about like protection in some way well it's interesting you know I love a twist <laughs> I love a twist <laughs> ending um and I feel like I feel like there almost is one here or there's there's something akin to one here um where Benny says this he's talking about bending the rules around having sex in Moscow because he says, you know, that most games between grandmasters end in draws these days. Like, oh, it doesn't matter that much, essentially. Um, and Beth says, I do. Um, and then she says, I figured that's what we might end up calling all this, um, meaning their marriage, I would think. Oh, uh-huh. And Benny says, that could work. You know that I was always talking about both of us when I said castling, right? We can take it in turns to be the king and to be the rook. It wasn't a blueprint for marriage. I'm starting to realize that Beth allows. And I feel like there's this like, boom, boom, boom. Like there are so many ideas there. It's almost like hard to like keep track of all of them. That's a technical, that's a technical term, right? Oh, the, the broom, broom, broom. You have to do the arm movements as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad this isn't a visual medium so everyone can't appreciate your, your hand motion. It is too bad. They also say can't see my Taylor Swift shirt. Um, yeah, it's a great tragedy. Um, <laughs> but there's almost like, there's, it's like, 
bam, you could call this a draw, right? A game that no one wins. Or you could call it castling. But what is castling? Who's the king and who's the rook? Uh, we take turns. There's this like constant redefinition of like exactly what marriage is, like what this partnership is. Also, what would it mean for marriage to be a draw though? Especially given that like them having a draw seems to be a site of something being very bad in their past in that moment. It's like a draw is what they had in Vegas. Well, I think that's why Benny kind of pushes back. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. And is like... <laughs> if you interpret that as pushing back, because I, I think that he's not agreeing to call it a draw in a way. But I, I don't know. I, I actually think that these are kind of like hard lines to to follow in some ways. Yeah, and then at the end he says, I always thought of myself as a knight, frankly. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense of the metaphor. But she's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're just totally changing the metaphor. But no, I feel like the reason why, for me, a draw would be a poor metaphor for a marriage is, again, because a draw means the game is over. So like, what does that really mean for your marriage? Or like in the context of this conversation, what does that really mean to have a draw? I think this is her st- still not able to really picture a life in which she can have a loving marriage and be good at chess. Like, I think this is still her struggling with that. Yeah, because I feel like that's the sort of main conclusion at the end is sort of the understanding of like, we can have both chess and our marriage, since that was the whole problem with like Vegas, that they had this like, really hot encounter. And then the next (laughs) morning, like the worst game of chess ever. Or like, I mean, it's a little more... <laughs> There's there are more details in that. Um, in that they like started the game, were like super attracted to each other, had to adjourn because they had to sleep with each other, went and slept with each other, and then the next day played really badly, <laughs> which is hilarious. And in fact, I want well, okay, Murray, do we know that they can make this work? Before is this only working because they already agreed no sex in moscow because i guess we see in some ways the the fic is ending with sort of a new beginning right like we've had a paradigm shift and now we're going to sort of move forward like both being great chess players and also like having a sort of real quote-unquote marriage but this fic is full of paradigm shifts like there's a paradigm shift when she's like oh okay we can sleep with each other that's fine when originally she was being she was like oh we're we we don't sleep with each other anymore and then it becomes like oh yeah we can do that that's fine and then it's like oh no i need to break up with him because he's in love with me and then it's like no we can make this work but how do we know that that's the final maybe the draw is you being like the game is over and that's a good thing because oh yeah because if the game is ending at a good point then there's no sort of potential for I mean to be honest I feel like that the ending this is another way the ending feels kind of fast because she does go to Moscow thinking like we're gonna have to break up so she has the conversation with Towns she's immediately like okay I have to break up with him this is not gonna work he's in love with me um we need to end this so she goes and sleeps with him one last time yeah also <laughs> I don't really I don't know. I didn't really like that. I don't think you should sleep with people you're about to break up with. <laughs> um yeah. Anyway, continue. Okay. <laughs> it's weird though, right? I don't know. Um what you think you Okay, hang on. I think it's fine because I don't think she's actually she I don't think she actually is going to break up with him. Well, I mean, yeah, she doesn't break up with him. Like, we know what happened. No, 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 but but I don't think, I don't think, did you reading that think, oh, they're going to break up? Or were you like, she's lying to herself? Yeah, okay. I I thought she was lying to herself, but that's only because I assume that 
unless unless like there's a reason to not assume, I always assume fan fiction is going to end with the people being together. It is weird that the last sex scene that we see is not them having acknowledged their love. Yeah, yeah, it's not sort of like this, like, oh, we're finally on the same page. We're finally sort of together in the sort of way that the fic is like concluding us being together. And then we're having this sort of celebratory sex. We're, instead, we're having this sort of sex scene of, oh, no, this is kind of maybe the end. But then also reading it, you're like, it's not the end. <laughs> And it's also kind of, it ends really awkwardly. And so they're both kind of aware that something is not right. And so they go to Moscow anyway, and then they have this conversation. And then they have all these awkward conversations with their secret service agent, but that's not maybe important. That's more almost just like comic relief, which is sort of interesting. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool choice because it is like you have all this tension. Um, But also like they can't really talk to each other because they have this third party who is sort of just like comic relief, weird, like security agent guy. And they just have to sort of talk to him and make jokes and not talk about the thing that you know they need to talk about. And it also reinforces um, this idea that they actually are good together because they have this like rapport. Yeah, that even sort of under tension. But yeah, but then but then like it does come to the head and you have sort of this moment where Benny kind of confronts her and says like, I can read you, I know you, like something's going on and we need to talk about it. It's sort of like they're they know they need to talk about it, but then she has to go play this very important game and with sort of all of these like emotions. And Benny sort of says like, Oh, like I want you to win tomorrow. I want you to win against the top Soviet player the day after we fight about our feelings. And then I want you to come back to this room and I want you to tell me the truth. Um, and she says like, and if I you lose, and he says, then I'll know you're a fucking coward and I'll have my answer. And so it is this sort of like strange like, relationship test because essentially he's saying what he's saying there is like if this is going to work you need to win the chess games you you should win and you losing the chess game that you should win is a sign that you don't actually want this to work out or something like that yeah and also that like their relationship has to be able to function like with their chess careers as well that like they have to be like she has to be able to have these like confrontations about her feelings, which I think also is related to other things that happen earlier in terms of the way that she talks about sort of like alcohol and kind of seeking oblivion as a way to get away from her emotions. That this is a moment where he's sort of saying like, oh, well, you have to you have to like reconcile with your moments, emotions and have to deal with sort of deep emotions and like fighting with your husband. But also then just playing a great chess game. Yeah, I want to say so pulled out a quotation. Okay, so this is Benny talking pretty early on. And he says, in a perfect world, chess would just be a meeting of two minds in an empty room with nothing but the board between them. But players are people and people are messy. Sometimes people make mistakes because they aren't good enough, but mostly people make mistakes because they didn't sleep last night, or they're going through a divorce, or they're hungover, or their bank account has $3 in it, or they're in a new place with a whole lot of new faces in it, and they're just plain scared. You're one of the best because you can play through most of that emotion, but you're not a machine. You'll probably be a better player once you really accept that. And I feel that it's a little bit of a contradiction of the pressure he's putting on her now yeah, I was about to say, now this scene kind of feels like the opposite of that, though. Because isn't he sort of asking her to be a machine? He is, because he's saying fighting with your husband shouldn't affect how you play this game. Though maybe also it's about sort of acceptance. Like, if you sort of accept your feelings, then you'll be able to sort of still play a good chess game. Because also the the whole idea of like, oh, then I'll know you're a coward. 
because I was interpreting coward there as sort of like you're someone who like runs away from your feelings or like can't deal with them kind of. Or he uses losing at chess as an excuse not to be in a relationship you want to be in. That's how I read it. It's like you deliberately would be messing up the chess to show that you can't do so both. So that then you would have a reason to be like, well, this means we can't be together. Exactly. Because I feel like that is what she was doing with like with Vegas. It was almost like it was almost like there was something deliberate in the drawing out of that game. Yeah, or sort of going back to the idea of like, it could marriage be a draw? Because then also like a draw was very directly what they were supposed to have. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't actually make sense. It almost feels here like he's saying you need to embrace the mess, right? People are messy. Players are people and people are messy. And, and that's why they make mistakes. But in a way, he's saying you have to embrace the fact that you're messy in order not to make mistakes. Like you need to almost use that. You need to to use the emotion to then become a machine that can win under any circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I guess this sort of would be a, a test of that if like you've had this giant fight. So maybe it is sort of like putting that theory to the test. Because I mean, in some ways he did sort of choose to like bring this up now. Because I feel like that's like part of that conversation is her being like, you can't pick a fight like today specifically. Like, are you trying to sabotage me? Like, I don't think she sort of seriously thinks that he's trying to sabotage her. But that is sort of what's going on here in that, like the timing, I think matters that he is sort of pushing the issue now. And he is sort of saying, like, I want you to be able to win the, night, the day after we fight about our feelings. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it, because I think it's so much pressure to put on her. And that feels really, it feels like a weird, again, weird moment, like with Towns in the phone call. Like, why does it have to be? Because everything has to come to a head in Moscow. (laughs) (laughs) Or I don't know, maybe it's kind of like he's like, we gotta, we gotta have this conversation at some point. Maybe it has to be now. Yeah, so I I have another, okay, this is towards the end. Benny says, I'm explaining it badly, but I don't mind being second best. I actually kind of like it, which is probably the same streak in me that means I don't fold when I should. And I don't think I've ever made a secret of the fact that we make each other better players. Yes, I want a slice of your publicity. And yes, it's helpful to have someone to stop me running up gambling debts so high I have to leave the city till the heat dies down. But who out there is going to keep me sharp but you? And who is going to keep you sharp but me? This idea of like, not minding being second. Okay, so I think Benny says a lot of stuff that he doesn't entirely mean. Because I don't think that any of this, I don't think that the idea of not minding being second best makes sense given how determined he was to fight that draw. Well, yeah, I think that he did, he did mind definitely in that moment because like he then, like they did like both keep playing in a way that then later like we shouldn't have. Though I mean, to be honest, this whole, just the paragraph that you read though just now, I don't mind being second best, but what he's describing is like sort of someone who can make him better and better, right? So that's sort of being like, oh, I don't mind being second best if it means that I can also then be the best I can be. So this is when they're talking about the fact that he intentionally derailed her the first time they played in, in Vegas. And essentially, he's, he says, like, he fell for her eventually, even though she was the woman who'd ruined his life because she, like, took his place as, like, the best American chess player. And she says, this doesn't explain why we're married now. Yeah, but also, like, he can't tell the truth right now. Okay, so you think that this is a lie. I don't mind being second best is a lie. Yes, I've decided, I didn't think this before, I've decided this right now, but I do think this is a lie specifically because he's he like is in love with her. So if you're asked by the person who you're in love with, that doesn't explain why we're married now. Or maybe not even like fully, but like a person who you have a lot of feelings for who maybe you don't want to know that because of your sort of weird fake marriage thing. 
he he kind of has to he has to say something here, right? But he can't say here at least he can't say the full truth. So maybe this is him trying to sort of scramble, like oh I'm explaining it badly, but I don't. He's trying to scramble to say something that will make sense to her, and then the conclusion he comes to is this concept of we both make each other better, and then it ends with the sort of like oh well. Like, we don't need to let it get in the way of our lives. And by our lives, you mean our respective chess careers. He says, what else is there? But does he, he probably doesn't really mean what else is there because there is something else that he wants. And also Beth points out exactly the thing that we were talking about, which is that this is not true. She says, that isn't what happened in Vegas. And Benny says, Vegas is designed to make you forget who you are. And it worked. We forgot that we're chess players first and everything else second. We got lost in this weird glittery dream world where we weren't ourselves. And then Beth says, is that what you think happened? And Benny doesn't even really respond about that. He's, he just says, I'm not sure I've slept through the night since that game. And it's like, in a weird way, I think you're right. Because I think that Benny keeps trying to turn it back to the chess and be like, oh, I'm really upset about the chess. And like, I don't mind being second best at chess. And like, I just really love chess, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I think you're right. I think it is a lie. I think it's that he he doesn't want to say it, but that he's in love with her. Yeah, because like obviously Benny does like care a huge amount about chess. And I think also it's one of the things where the things that he's saying are probably not entirely untrue. They're just not the full truth, right? Because like he obviously probably like does appreciate the fact that like they make each other better at chess. But also like there is something very much like present here that he can't say. And so this is this is the this is one of the moments of realization in the in the story this is like the the story is like building she's she's racking her her brain and her soul about like how do we make this work how to interpret what happened in vegas and it all comes to a head and this is what they say like we just read out essentially the whole of this conversation that they have um and we're told it makes sense all of it makes sense something finally snaps in beth something exhausted like she can crawl to bed and sleep at last without her dreams trying to devour her like she's figured it out she's reached a plateau and it's interesting because this is this is almost a moment of like false realization i kind of wonder about the like the two lines after that she says oh you've taught me how to read people and you say you knew exactly who i was so tell me who am i now benny and he says oh beth quiet, tired, and fond. If you ever figure that out, you can let me know. Which kind kind of like, I don't know, could like possibly imply a couple things because it could kind of imply like, oh, like she hasn't really figured something out yet. Um, But also the idea of you've taught me how to read people. Because like Benny is the one who's always been really good at reading people, right? And I think it's kind of implied that Beth can't. And maybe she thinks in this scene she knows how to read people, but also she's reading him incorrectly if she thinks that they're having a completely honest conversation. Ah. When I read this, was, you've taught me how to read people. I was like, has he taught her to read people? I was wondering about that. That was my main question because it's like, when did he teach her how to read people? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think <laughs> he did. he's talked about the fact that he can read people really well. Yeah, because that's how he wins at cards. And also he counts cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But is he reading her now? And does he know who she is or is he as lost as she is? Maybe he's withholding a lot at the end here, both about himself and about her. I think he is. I do think this scene kind of evidences that like Benny can be kind of manipulative in a way that I think could be hinting about the fact that like he's maybe being a little manipulative or like not being totally honest with her about their relationship. Because that's kind of how I read the scene of him confessing that he'd been sort of manipulating her the first time they met. I don't know. That kind of evidence is someone who we maybe shouldn't expect as a character to always be super honest. Do you believe 
the all the stuff he he just told her about the first time he met her in Vegas. Oh, about the stuff about how he was trying to throw yeah, her off. Yeah, like he deliberately threw her off. Yes. Did you not believe? Or what is another? What is another interpretation? If we're saying this was all a lie, then, oh. I, <laughs> then that could have also been a lie. I think I believe him when he says she was ruining his life by being better than him. I'm not sure I believe him when he says he told her that just in order to like, like coldly manipulate her into losing. I think he told her that because he wanted her to know that he was as good as or better than she was. Like, I think it was. Oh, I see. So it was like, I feel threatened by this person. Therefore I'm going to sort of like one up them a little bit. I don't think it was as cold and emotionless as he's making it out to be. I mean, and to be honest, I think that interpretation would make a lot more sense with how we see him behaving in this fic because he does, he is quite emotional. Um, even before we find out this whole like sort of like secret love or whatever, he is just like emotional in his responses to things. Like he storms off at several points in the story, um, which would fit more with someone whose sort of response to someone feeling threatened by someone is to go up to them and say, oh, you made a mistake in that game. But also, but maybe he wants to remember it as not that. I think he would probably prefer to remember it as I was manipulating this person. Essentially, we can't believe anything that he says. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm having come to the conclusion that the the romantic lead in this fic, total liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like this idea of Beth being really bad at reading people because I think it at once kind of ties this into like, you know, like Pride and Prejudice where Elizabeth Bennet like thinks that she completely understands everything and she thinks she knows who Mr. Darcy is. And then you have this sort of like reveal. Exactly. And that's that's kind of exactly how this works as well, which is that you keep getting all these reveals where you're like, oh no, it was actually this. But maybe with the added, like, maybe he's not that great a guy though. Maybe she's right. <laughs> maybe. But no, I think what you're saying about Beth sort of not being able to read people does ring very true, especially how Beth is in canon. Um and then I feel like canonically, Beth is portrayed as a little bit, I don't know, sort of like out of step with everyone. Um, and someone who has trouble making friends. And then one of the things that's sort of nice about the arc of the show is sort of the realization at the end of like, oh, like you can rely on people. You have all these people around you. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense for someone who like struggles to read people. This is definitely something that this fic emphasizes because we're told a couple of times, specifically with this combination of reading people in chess, which is that no matter how much... Uh, Beth plays Benny at chess. She can never, she knows all of his his expressions and his mannerisms, but she never knows what they mean in terms of the chess game and what he's thinking about it. And so it's this really interesting thing of like, she knows him really well, but that doesn't actually give her any kind of advantage over him. Which then makes me wonder, does she actually know him really well though? I have a related question about this, which is that this is actually never resolved. And I I read through the whole thing wondering about this. But so at, at kind of at the beginning, they're both staying in this hotel. They're competing in the same thing. They haven't I think they either, do they, they, I think this might be the night after they played each other, but she's in her hotel room and she thinks that she hears a woman kind of saying oh, Benny's right. name. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought she like sees someone like hooking or she like knows that he hooked up with someone. So I don't think that she knows. So this is the section. The woman laughs high and a little breathy and the conversation stops for a long, heavy second. Beth doesn't have time to get hopeful when there's another giggle, a hiss of Benny that carries right the way down the hall, then a low laugh that's too blurry for Beth to tell if it's actually Benny's or not. A door slams and Beth stands in the silence and counts to 10 before she ventures into the empty corridor. Um, 
I think that's really interesting because I think that we have buried in that the fact that she doesn't want it to be Benny, but she's also like super paranoid that Benny is sleeping with someone, um, even though they're not even together at this point. Um, and I think that I think we actually never find out whether it was him and like whether he was with this woman and like who it was. I don't think that we ever know that. Yeah. So then that makes me wonder what is the like what is the role of this scene in the larger narrative? Like why does this why does this happen? Well, I think it tells us that Beth is sort of cares. <laughs> kind of obsessed with the idea of Benny sleeping with other people, even if she supposedly doesn't want to sleep with him. Which actually then would sort of mirror the fact that Benny kind of knows about people who she's had romantic entanglements with. Like there's this whole thing about like Benny being kind of a gossip or someone who knows all the gossip, which is something that I, I'm not sure really comes from the canon very much. Or like, I mean, I guess it's canonical that Benny is like very well connected and has a lot of friends in the chess world. Um, I don't think it's at all canonical that he like knows all this gossip or is sort of gossip center of the chess world, but it's revealed at several points later that he knows, for example, about her and Cleo sleeping together in Paris. Oh yeah. Because he was then involved or he is, or he was involved with Cleo at some point and maybe after Paris, in fact, it turns out. Yeah. And that like, she told him about this. Um, And then also that he seems to know things about like her and towns he says at one point, like, oh, I thought that something had happened in Vegas or like that he wasn't sort of surprised that they'd had this interaction. Uh, I thought that but I thought that was because he was like reading her and he was like, I could tell you were really upset about something. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think that this sort of, that sort of is paralleling this scene in that it's sort of it's sort of like a lot of attention being paid to what are sort of her romantic entanglements. Oh, yeah. What is going on with her? Sort of maybe I want to I want to know. Yeah, that, I mean, just how closely they're kind of examining or inspecting each other, even like way before we know in any way that, that they might care about each other. Yeah, and in a way that could just be kind of, I'm scoping out the competition, or it could be something more. Like, I think those sort of behaviors could be like evidence of either thing. Well, this is why I don't like completely 100% believe his account of the first Vegas um, interaction which is that he goes into really great detail. And he was like, I could tell you were broken by something and I was going to use that to win. And it's like, or were you just like really obsessed with how she was feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Cause also this is, this is in the context of him like telling her this story later. So I feel like it is, it is almost inherently like a constructed narrative about their past, right? Like he's like, being like, oh, like, this is this event that we experienced. Let me tell you the real story of what happened from my point of view. But he is, he's like creating this story well, I think it's also like the reason that they get married in the first place is because of gossip and rumors. And I guess also that's something we haven't really talked about. The role of, I guess we've talked about sort of like gossip in terms of like Benny being gossip central, but like the role of the press in this story. I think that's something that's very much part of this fic that it isn't really, doesn't really come from canon or is sort of very specific to the story. Um, the reason why she wants to get married is that she is this celebrity presence and she feels like they're only trying to, in the news, they are always sort of interested in her relationships. She's also TV on TV, which probably makes her more of a celebrity presence. She gets this job kind of like on a, I don't know, maybe like late night talk show or something where she has like a little segment where she talks about chess and like plays people from the audience, which sounds like a really nice cushy gig. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I were a famous chess player. I thought we were going to like see more of that, but it's just really mentioned yeah. and like alluded Yeah, because it is like, a, I feel like it's a big part of it in the beginning and then kind of 
fades away. But anyway, so she's this celebrity figure and there's a lot, there's, they're always trying to like romantically tie her to various people who she's with because she has a lot of male friends since most people who play chess are who she like meets at tournaments are men. Um, and so, and she also gets a lot of fan mail, some of which is kind of creepy. Some of which is people sort of proposing to her or be, or yeah, and she like has an interaction, a negative interaction with a fan in public where this guy comes up to her and is vaguely threatening and really scary. Um, and so because of these experiences with her sort of celebrity, that's part of the reason why they decide to have this marriage of convenience. Yeah, but like the interaction with the deranged fan like is another instance of Benny kind of almost like reading her a little, a little bit, like sort of interpreting yeah, things about he her. Definitely immediately like knows something has happened. He like knows specifics of it just because he like interprets the fact that she's like slightly injured. Like the, the guy like grabs her arm and like, I, I think, or she's like bruised in, in some way. Um, and like, he seems to know that this happened and that seems to be part of the reason that he wants to marry her, like to protect her. Yeah, because it is sort of just after that where he sort of explains this, his plan. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, but I had the same reaction to that. It does seem like he knows like very clearly what happened and it's because of his kind of almost like preternatural ability to read people or just to read Beth. It strikes me then that like, we have one character who is very good at reading people and one character who's very bad at reading people. And the weird thing is like the one who's very bad at reading people is the lens through which we're seeing all of this. And so I wonder like how this would all feel told through like Benny's point of view. Yeah, you know? I mean, in some ways, I feel like there is a great potential for an unreliable narrator here. Um, and that like, can we really trust Beth's perception of the world or sort of her perception of Benny and what anyone else thinks if she is like, that's part of fundamental part of her character that she's bad at reading people. And she's also like lying to herself in some ways, or at least like misleading herself. However you interpret the, I didn't realize what this was. Yeah, because I think that you can't, you can't really have a sudden like change at the end, like this story does, unless you do have a character who's deceiving themselves, unless you always kind of feel this way all along. Otherwise it wouldn't really make sense to have this ending where all of a sudden she's like, no, actually I love you. <laughs> yeah, because it's not a change of heart. Again, it's, it's a realization, which you can either do if you have information that is not available to the character that changes everything, or if that information is like their own psyche that they were not admitting stuff about or both. <laughs> okay. Well, so those were most of the things that I'd sort of set up like to, to talk about that have to do with kind of thematic stuff. Um, I also kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about the period detail because a lot of research has gone into this. Yeah, and I think that was another thing that was like distinctive about this story compared to perhaps other works of fan fiction in that they clearly looked up things that happened in the 60s. Well, there's one instance where they have like, they have a character based on an actual woman chess player from the 60s, Lisa Lane. And they link to this article about her life. And, and she's turned into this secondary character in the story who's just kind of, um, I think she runs the Manhattan Chess Club or like some chess club yeah. in New York City. Yeah, I do think there's something kind of interesting about how her, her character kind of, like she sort of like separated herself out from the chess world in a way that's kind of like, oh, well, like they sort of didn't accept me. So I'm going to sort of create my own sort of space. Yeah. And the sort of theme of women playing chess in general, like comes up a couple of times. And I wasn't really sure how that related to the larger story. Susan plays chess um, and is sort of starting to like play more chess um, and go to tournaments. And then you also have like Christine and her chess club. Um, and then you also have towards the end, Beth going to this like women's rights rally, which is not related to chess, but is sort of related to maybe some of these themes that are going on in the background. 
The place where it does feel like it relates is that the reason that Beth gets so much press scrutiny, which is the reason she gets married, is because she's a woman. And this is made very explicit. Um, because she's an unmarried woman, she's seen as kind of fair game. Like people tell like all this, have all this gossip that they make up about her essentially. And everyone's like, when are you going to get married? And so that's why she has to get married. So that's maybe the the only place where it's connected. But I do think, I mean, as much as I really liked the secondary characters in this, I do feel that they are a little less important to the story than maybe. Yeah. Well, I feel like there weren't a lot of secondary characters who had kind of like their own narrative arc. Um, or sort of like changed over time. Um, but we have a lot of secondary characters that Beth is able to sort of play off of. Um, and that like, I think a lot of her, like our understanding of Beth comes from not necessarily her internal monologue, but like her conversations with Jolene. Yes. We find out a lot more about Beth in those conversations than we maybe find out about Jolene. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost because Beth is lying to herself so much and we, we get so much of like her own, her point of view. We need to see her interacting with someone who doesn't like really take what she says for granted. Cause at, at one point, so they're, they're sort of talking about Beth and Benny going to Moscow together. And Beth tells Jolene, the Russians play as a team, which is the line she's told three different reporters so far. They play as individuals and together. Um, yeah, Jolene says dryly, I saw that one printed up, but those Russian teammates aren't also married to each other with a history of having really big fights and badly timed sex. And so like, if Beth were kind of telling us that as the reader, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But because Jolene's there to be like, no, that's not at all the same. I think I think it, we get a little bit more clarity. Yeah. So I think that characters like Jolene are playing a really important role in this fic. Um, but they aren't necessarily playing a role in terms of like having their own journey or us finding out a lot more about Jolene than we found out through like the canon, for example. Um, and I think that might be true for some of the invented characters as well, because I feel like Mike's wife is similar in that like she's an invented character, um, but most of her role is to be able to have conversations with Beth. Well, because and also because Susan and Mike's marriage is really ideal in many ways. Like they seem to, it seems to be really loving. Like they're both really into chess. Um, it, it, it's kind of, it functions almost as a vision of what marriage can be. And maybe it's a little bit of a red herring because Beth and Benny are going to have to figure out something that works for them ultimately. Yeah. Cause I thought it also could be seen as not just sort of, not sort of maybe something they're striving for, but like sort of a contrast of like, this is something that we're not doing. <laughs> I think you're right that, um, that these figures on the outskirts of the story are either there to tell Beth stuff that she's not willing to tell herself as with maybe again, the towns is kind of the deus ex machina on the phone. Yes. Really? He's just her like subconscious talking to her. <laughs> Does towns actually exist? Maybe in fact, this never actually happened and it was all a dream. And she suddenly woke up and she was like, oh, Benny loves me. That's not true. I made that up. Probably not. That would be an interesting reading of this story, though. <laughs> That's what happens in my fan fiction of this story. <laughs> I mean, there was listed at the end of the story a, you know, fix inspired by this oh, one nice. category. So you could add one more to that category. I, I think we've been talking about this for a while. And it, at once, it feels like there is so much more that we haven't even talked about yet because this was so long. Well, it is. It is like a novel length. I know. And it was so fun. I genuinely, like, if you're listening to this, it this is a really fun read. Like, I recommend this one. Yeah. And I think also this is, this is the characterization of Benny that felt the most true to me. Because I feel like Benny has, like, a very specific affect, which I'm not sure is very easy to capture. The way that he's so sort of, like, 
like kind of like effortless and casual, but then also can be like quite serious sometimes. And I thought there were a lot of scenes that really captured his kind of like, oh, I'm just a little crazy cowboy. Yeah, well, he has this thing where like, he's very intense, but sometimes he's joking and sometimes he's not. And I think that they captured that very well. And I also thought that they captured Beth really well. So I didn't, I think we talked about the characterization of Benny in the other fix a little bit and how it maybe didn't feel that much like the Benny from the show. Um, and I agree that this this one does. But I think it also made me realize that the Beths from those other fix didn't exactly feel like the Beths from the show. Because I think that this Beth feels a lot closer in the way that she acts and talks, but also just in sort of, again, like the physicality, like her propping her her head on her hands, like that kind of thing. Like it feels like every once in a while I could kind of picture um, Anya Taylor-Joy doing those things or like saying those lines. Yeah, and maybe it's because like most of the fix that we've read, and I think also most of the fix, almost all the fix in this genre, Beth is sort of like very firmly the main character. And I think in some ways that makes the characterization more difficult because if you're going to bring in a little bit of yourself into the story, it probably would be like I could see sort of like projecting onto Beth a little bit or like imagining like, well, how would I react to the situation in a way that you maybe then would have to as an author, like rein yourself in and be like, no, Beth is not a normal person. That she has this kind of like distance and almost like passivity. Like she's a very strong character, but she's also kind of passive about stuff. Um, and I think that that they've captured that that very well. I think so. Hard, hard recommend from the team here at Clear Slash Marais, a fan fiction podcast. <laughs> I think we're done with our discussion, but I quickly wanted to ask you what you thought about the the role of music here because this is this is another kind of song fic, oh, but it also references yeah. music a lot. Okay, yeah, so I thought it was interesting because I think music comes in actually at a lot of times. So it's song fic in the sort of like macro level of like the title is from a song and also you have like some chapter titles and things from a song. But you also then, you and you also have a playlist that was created by the author to I guess like listen to as you're reading it, which I think is a cool like fan fiction thing. Yeah, there. well, there are two playlists. One is of, of all the music that's mentioned in the fic and the other one is like just a playlist like based on the pairing. Of like vibes. Yeah, which is really cool. But yeah, you also have a lot of music, like as you just brought up, that's like mentioned in the fic that they listen to. Um, and they go to a couple concerts together, which I think provides, yeah, it provides like local color kind of a little bit or like sort of like time period things being like we're firmly in this time period. It also gives them the opportunity to dance. But we also see music at um, like before Beth kind of has a breakdown at two points in that she's, they describe her listening to music bef- at the wedding before she like runs into the bathroom and is like tearing it apart, trying to find pills. Um, and we also, she's also listening to music when she falls off the wagon um, and starts drinking again, when they've had their sort of terrible experience in Vegas and she flies to Kentucky to sort of be by herself. That's also very marked by music. But also like the the times when, before they kind of confess their love at the end, the times when they do seem to get on the best are when they go out dancing, kind of just the two of them. Probably it's because it's this kind of like wordless communication. Like dancing is kind of wordless communication. Like chess. Chess is kind of wordless communication. Yeah, because like moves is and dancing moves a draw, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How would how would dancing be a draw? But yeah, and also like hilariously, they have this one of the moments that we first see them together. They're both at this tournament, and and they just have this like weird exchange where they're like using the names of Elvis songs to like to insult each other. Yeah, I totally forgot about this. But yes, <laughs> the queen graces us with her presence. He says dryly, a little mocking but not cruel. And just when did you arrive at this heartbreak hotel, Miss Harvin? <laughs> 
<laughs> Beth is aware of the attention on her, on both of them. People in other parts of the room watching her and catching her name and turning to look. She scrapes together a smile. Bunny Watts. And he, there was me thinking you were all shook up after your open loss. And it goes on. <laughs> this is all like a little bit. It's not like, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it's kind of fun. But I think also it was something that might be kind of like the author putting a little bit of themselves in the fic and that like this is clearly written by someone who like knows music and cares about music i mean the the miniseries also is interested in the music of the time and we see beth there kind of interacting with it in different ways and also a lot of scenes of like when bad things are happening of her sort of like the sort of like seeking oblivion through drugs are accompanied by like listening to or her being just very awkward when Harry like goes to her house to help her with chess and she just turns on the radio and starts like dancing, she's like, Oh, I love the song. Like repeating that scene of the the high school kids that she was sort of like so flummoxed by doing the same thing. And there it's like an attempt at seducing him and it's so awkward. <laughs> yeah, I think that's cool that they were able to bring the music then like into the like written form of something that I feel like is a lot easier to do with television, obviously, that you can have like music in the background or you can sort of have the music adding to it but in a way they were sort of attempting to do that here because they also gave you access to all the music that was it's like a whole multimedia experience you could have put the music while reading so we have we have some ratings to do Okay, yeah, so I'm going to go up. I'm definitely going up in rating. The question is how much I go up by. Um, I think I'm going up to a to a 7.5. I wanted to go up one and a half more. Why don't you just be N plus one and a half? <laughs> Amazing. Um, I am going to give it a nine because I love this like false marriage thing. I just, I don't know. It really worked for me. Like this depiction of their relationship really worked for me. Um, I think the thing, the thing that I was the most like, mm, was the revelation that he loved her, which again, we talked about whether or not we can 100% take that on face value, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say a nine. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I do think that there were a lot of things in this fic that I thought were like really lovely, um, which, you know, I think giving it a 7.5, it's pretty, I clearly thought this relationship was working well. Um, I don't think we're at a nine, but you know. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to express my disapproval. Of, no, I'm kidding. Um, but no, okay. Things that I thought were really lovely. There's this one moment where um, Beth finds out that, or I think Jolene tells her that Benny still sends her like literature from New York that he's still like, like sending her like black poetry collections and like political pamphlets that like he has access to in New York that like she like doesn't in Kentucky. And I thought that was so sort of incredibly sweet and lovely that you would be doing something like that for your partner's friend. And also that she wouldn't even know that he was doing that. Cause I think that's such sort of like an act of care. Is he doing that because of Beth or is he just doing that because he's like, Jolene seems cool. I want to send her this poetry. I don't think there's any evidence that he feels particularly strongly about Jolene or like radical politics of his time. Okay. I think I only like that if he's just like, I think Jolene would like this poetry. I don't like it if it's like he's weirdly pining after Beth. So he's sending Jolene. Oh, I don't no. like that. It feels instrumentalizing. Okay, yeah, no, I thought the exact opposite. I thought it was really lovely that you would like care about your partner's friends' like political <laughs> aspirations. 
<laughs> no, I think you should only send people literature if it's because you think they would enjoy it. Do you have like a scene or a moment from one of these that you felt like really encapsulated the relationship for you? I think my favorite scene was her breakdown at the wedding. Um, because for me, I felt like that was very unexpected in that you, you're reading this fic and you're like, oh, how lovely that Beth has sort of friends um, and that she's going to this wedding and she's having a good time. And that was something I also thought was striking about the beginning of this fic is that she is in some ways sort of surrounded by people, um, which was sort of nice to see because I thought that in some ways was the conclusion of the miniseries was the sort of like, oh, she gets the phone call from Benny and like all of her friends are like helping her during the adjournment. So this is an idea that like she does have a support network um, and sort of Jolene coming back into her life after them not really seeing each other for years. Um, so in the beginning of this fic, she is surrounded by people. Um, and she's having this lovely moment in the wedding. And then all of a sudden she's sort of plunged into grief with these sort of thoughts of like, oh, is it okay that I don't really want this sort of sense of normalcy? And also this is sort of her like grappling with her addiction and tearing apart the cabinet. Um, and I thought that that was a really sort of powerful moment. I'll tell you my favorite one. It's when they're playing chess against each other in Vegas and they're just really horny. So they play really bad chess. <laughs> I mean, that was a very good scene. <laughs> that was so funny. Having to stop a chess game so you could go <laughs> Yeah. So we already did, last time we did, like, what what would happen in your fan fiction about these two. Yeah, also, do we do that again? Because I did think of a better one. Uh, I was going to ask a slightly different question, but then you can also say your better one. No, it's okay. Ask your slightly different question. <laughs> okay, my slightly different question is, in like a marriage of convenience situation between Beth and Benny, is there a scene that you would want to add or to see uh, that we didn't see here? I think marriage of convenience, there is a lot of, um, maybe this is just me like wanting something more comedic, um, but I think there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of like comedic things that can happen in a marriage of convenience. For example, someone is coming over and you have to like pretend things are different than they are. So you have to like rush around and make it look like you like sleep in the same bed or things of that nature or having to sort of like make things up about each other to seem like you know each other better than you do. Um, and I think there are a lot of there are a lot of comedic moments that we maybe didn't see in this fic because maybe it's not intended to be super comedic. But I think that's what I would want out of a marriage of convenience fic was people running around trying to hide things, people like making up stories about how they met or not being prepared for questions um, or things like that. Yeah, I mean, this is actually kind of related to that. But one thing that was conspicuously absent was having to like meet the parents or meet the family of the Yeah, person. which would also be a great sort of comedic potential. But also I think that they don't really have... Well, because of Benny's tragic backstory, he doesn't talk to his parents. I guess they're still around, but they're not in his life. And of course, Beth's an orphan. Yeah. And actually, come to think of it, there wasn't a lot of them having to sort of play things up in front of people they knew. Or that wasn't something that we sort of saw a lot of. Well, because almost almost all of their friends knew it was fake. Yeah, because I feel like that's another classic marriage of convenience trope is you having to play it up between like either family or friends. And we don't really get a lot of that here. The only people they're playing it up for are the press which is quite different. 
Well, I feel like the function that having to meet the family, having to meet the friends fulfills is that you need to fake your affection. You need to maybe kiss even if you don't usually or whatever. Yeah. Which then can like put in a little sort of like added intimacy. Exactly. It's like then there's maybe a spark and you're like, oh, but it's just a marriage convenience. Maybe it's real. (laughs) But then that, that happens, but that happens with the press so that like they kiss on TV. Yeah. Which I think also goes back to like the role of the press in the story more generally, which does sort of play a pretty big role that it, it's not only launching the plot, but at several points we have sort of, Oh, what are they going to say to the press? And they're like, after their big Las Vegas fallout, that's a big discussion of sort of towns coming to them and being like, Oh, I'm going to write this article to spin it this particular way. Are you two on board with this? Um, that there is a sort of continual relationship with the press. And at one point, even in the story, there's sort of like the kind of like interpolation of this um, like article about them that you get to read. Oh, yeah, that was fun. I liked that article. Yeah, because then it's like you get to you see how they're playing to the press and you also see how the press is responding to them. So you almost get like the point of view character is the press. It was interesting because it's like the press actually like it's not like they have paparazzi spying on them all the time. Like, did they even have to live together or could they just like pretend to live together for like these two articles that are written about them? But anyway. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that I felt like the press felt rather like oppressive in this fic in a way that I wasn't sure how realistic it was. But maybe I'm just underestimating how famous chess players are. Yeah, I mean, she had just like, she had just become world champion, like against Russia. So I think there's like a Cold War. There's the Cold War aspect of the setting and also the fact that she is consistently on television. Sure, the press was oppressive in that they were writing about her, but it's not like they were like trying to photograph her. Or, like, figure out whether it was a real narrative. Yeah. And I mean, they're like those photographs on their honeymoon, I think, is the main time oh, that we yeah. hear about photographs. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. In some ways, to me, the press felt a lot more like a modern press relationship than a, like, 19... 19- but, I mean, again, I don't know. Who am I to say what the press is like in the 1960s? But I feel like the press today can be quite sort of oppressive um, in terms of the many ways that one can track where someone is or, like, try to get things, like, snaps of a celebrity. Um, but to me, that made me feel a little bit like, is this really how it would be in the 1960s? Would you really be pressured into a fake marriage because of the press? Right. In a way that like people fake relationships all the time for the press nowadays. So what was your, what, what was your fan fiction that you want to write about the Queen's Gambit? <laughs> oh, right. The fan fiction. Yeah. Now I feel like I've built this up. I'm like, I thought of something better this week. Maybe it's not actually that better. Okay. My fan fiction would be we're pretty far in the future and somehow both Beth and Benny have like a, like, chess prodigy that they're like coaching um maybe for one of them it's a child through like a marriage that didn't work out or something um maybe for one of them it's just like a family friend who they discover is really good at chess i don't know maybe like jolene gets married and has a kid who like plays chess with beth a lot and then anyway so then they're in this sort of rival role again but it's slightly different because it's being mediated (laughs) between these like two children yeah and then the children at one point could be like should we decide to try to like parent trap them Wow. Yeah, I thought it was one thing and then it's... Oh, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I didn't realize the children were going to, like, collude. I thought it was going to be, like, a grittier exploration of, like, ambition and drive. Well, I think it could be... Yeah, it depends on how comedic the story wanted to be. The more comedic thing would be the parent trap plot. The more serious would be, like, an exploration of their ambitions, where their ambitions are now being, like, mediated between these two people who aren't them, but maybe they're like projecting things onto them. Is that going to ruin their relationships with, you know, these children? Yeah, that's fun. I like that. I wasn't prepared in our first episode. I was like, I can do better than that. Yeah, I also felt that way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you tried harder this time. (laughs) 
I'm just kidding. Um, it was great. Okay. Um, that's cool. So listeners, if you want to go write that, um, that's also available. Please do. And there's probably something there in the title with like a chess trap and the parent trap and like, mm, true. yeah, you can probably think of something. Yeah. yeah we believe it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so now we need to make a decision on what we're calling this pairing, because as you noted, there are a lot of different options. So I'm disappointed about the fact that given that our Twitter only has 13 followers, I feel like I can't do a Twitter poll. I'm pretty sure I'd just put up a poll and no one would answer. Maybe like one person would just decide it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe I will put up a poll and then the one person who actually answers the Twitter poll gets to a side, which might also be me. I am one of our 13 followers. So well, why don't we just skip that? And why don't you just decide? I, I like the sort of um, like unconventional portmanteau of cowboy queen i think pirate queen also would be a good option i think benny is more of a cowboy than a pirate it is it is weird that she calls him a pirate like in the miniseries but she should be calling him a cowboy like that is definitely yes because he wears a cowboy hat he carries it yeah there's a lot more cowboy going on in in his aesthetic um than there is a pirate I think I was like kind of fond of Bethany, but only once I realized that it was pronounced Bethany, not Bethany, which is what I assumed it was seeing it written. And so I think that it should be something that's like obvious how you pronounce it. Okay. Yeah. And also I think Bethany is cute because it also is a name. Yes. And so for those of you writing the fan fiction where they have children, that could be one of their names. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, basically the fan fiction writes itself. <laughs> yes, actually. That was the hardest part, picking one of the children's names. <laughs> I mean, once you're over that hump, it's like you're basically done. Cool. Oh, I'm going to miss talking about Beth and Benny. I think I'm like more into them as a pairing than you are. <laughs> well, I mean, given that we've given our respective ratings, I think we have quantitative data that proves that. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think you are much more excited about Lex Luthor and Superman than I am because I do not care. So that is going to be an interesting <laughs> two weeks or whatever no no only one week okay Uh, sadly only one week (laughs) (laughs) and we're starting with super bad oh okay we're starting with super bad sorry you have you have like a whole month before you have to confront lex luther cleo don't worry thank goodness (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) so what are we doing what are we doing next time okay so apparently i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you have to look at the google doc cleo Ugh, fine. I was too busy planning all the questions I was going to ask you and writing my fan fiction of us. Right? No, that's true. Yeah. I, mean, I, I do think that's the most important thing for you to spend time on is writing the fan fiction of us. The point is, now that we have finished The Queen's Gambit, we are pivoting towards Superman. <laughs> Our first episode about Superman is going to be uh, Clark Kent slash Bruce Wayne, um, also known as Superbat. Um, and we're actually doing, going to do two episodes based on that pairing. And then after that, we are doing Clark Kent slash Lex Luthor, which Cleo is really looking forward to. Our first episode for Superbat is going to be more sort of comedic explorations of the pairing and like maybe not as serious and also things that are primarily based on comic book canon than they are on like sort of recent like Snyderverse things. We're reading, um, sorry, these are really silly titles. Make an ass of you and me by Huntress79. We're reading I'm Not As Think As You Drunk I Am by Mardia's 173. And then our third fic we're reading, because these are all only like 10,000 words each, so it's actually a lot less reading than we did for today. Um, the third fic we're reading has a Latin title, which is Delectus Meus Mihi, and it's by Mythen. 
Amazing. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do the comedic things first. And then our second week is going to be a lot more serious. Okay. Amazing. So listeners, you know your homework, so you better do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you want to listen to this podcast, you need to do the assigned fan fiction reading beforehand. (laughs) The test is you listening to the two hours of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if they can get through that, I'm sure they can read like 30,000 words of fan fiction two weeks from now. So that's all for today. Thank you for listening to Cleo slash Marae, a fanfiction podcast. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, that is always an option. And also, if you would like to send us an email, um, both of those things are linked in the description of this podcast. Um, Thank you so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.